We are in a series that we've started here in January called The Better Family. And uh, in my stead last week, a guy named Tom came up here and just did a great job talking to us about parenting. Thank you, Tom. Uh, but we want to continue, yeah, we want to continue this week uh, as we uh, are able to, talking about the relationships that God's given us in our homes. Uh, families are the building block of all society for all time. That's how culture has moved forward through families, uh, you know, procreating and, and becoming and, 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 you know, building uh, the societies that we live in. God has uh, a design for how this is meant to work. We're trying to understand that so that we can have better in our relationships at home. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago here in Colossians chapter three. And, and one of the things that we taught that morning, I wanna just remind us of is, is this, to be a, a contributor to a better earth family, uh, you and I as Christ followers need to be our very best as members of God's family. We can't miss this. It's probably self-evident. I'm going to get up and preach from the Bible. We're going to talk about what God hopes for us. But if, if you and I are not becoming who God wants us to become in his family, we're going to fail in our families. Everybody gets that? We, we read this. We, it, I love how Paul writes about this, this um, you know, church family, Christ family, spiritual family. He describes it in terms of, of uh, wardrobes. He talks about the things that we put off. We didn't go through those verses, but if you want to read the first half of Colossians chapter 3, you'll see all the things that we need to put off or take off in the old life that we once had without Christ. And we need to instead wake up every morning and, and robe ourselves in Jesus. It says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, uh, that we uh, therefore should put on then as God's chosen ones and holy and beloved ones, uh, compassionate hearts, we call that mercy. Uh, put on kindness and humility. Put on meekness and patience. If you were here a couple weeks ago, I put all a bunch of stickers on myself to kind of signify that. Every morning we have a choice. You get a choice. You put on what you have on this morning. That was your choice, Brian. Looks good on you, buddy. But everybody put on what they put on. And in the same way, spiritually, you put on what you want to put on. You can put on anger and malice and bitterness and and, and all the things that are old you, or you can put on Christ in the new you. And Christ, his character, is marked by mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those things kind of uh, make possible what he talks about in the next verse. In verse 13, he says this. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So how is it that we can forbear and forgive? How is it that we can put up with? Forbearance is just basically this idea of putting up with the little stuff that can you know, throw us off in life. You know, everybody has to put up with little, little stuff all the time, right? Little inconveniences, grievances. Uh, it's amazing how often those little things can add up and all of a sudden you're just way out in the woods. Not on any big thing, but on a accumulation of little things. Happens in our families, not just the Christian family, but the home family, right? You ever just, you know, been around a member of your family and been just like, and you have no reason to have this attitude towards them, but it's just, they've been getting on your nerves lately. You haven't had a good conversation to kind of clear the air. If you're going to be able to forbear in those situations and be enabled by God to, uh, you know, have things not bug you, the little things bug you, now then you're going to need the character of Christ, which one more time is mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those things are also crucial in forgiving because here's what's going to happen, not just in the Christian family, but in your families, 
True offenses are going to occur. I know I am a habitual offender. Are you with me? I just get selfish. I get wrong. I'll just call it that. I'm wrong. And I'll come with my wrongness to my bride or to my kids or to, you know, whoever is in the house. And I'll do things that aren't according to God's will, aren't in line with his character. And I'll need to be forgiven. And forgiveness is uh, crucial in all relationships, but especially in your homes. If you can't forgive, those relationships are going to die. So it is that we choose each day as members of God's family and therefore members of our own families to put on these things. The last verse there uh, that we're talking about a couple weeks ago is verse 14. It says, above all these, put on, say it with me, love. It came up late. Here it is again. Put on what? Yeah, love. He says, uh, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'm always amazed by people who can sing well. They can like you know, figure out the harmonies and sing them correctly. Anybody ever been in your car listening to your favorite soon, a song, you know, like More Than a Feeling by Boston comes on, you're like, oh, I'm going to hit the high note, here it comes. <laughs> and you try to reach that note, your, your tonsils have no business, you know, making come out of you, and it's off. Who's ever been around the person who's off? Are you sitting next to them right now? Or were you like, I'm so glad we're done singing, this was painful. Yeah. Uh, it's a gift, this, this ability to sing. And when you're out of harmony, everything else sounds bad, feels bad. It's distracting. But here's what Paul says. Hey, man, if you got love, you can have harmony in God's family, in your family. Love binds it all together. It, 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 it's basically the, the cement, the glue for all the other things. It, it's the precursor to meekness and patience to humility to kindness and mercy. If, if you don't have love, you're not going to have those things either. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these, anybody want to guess? Love. I love that it says bind there. It's like a belt holding up some pants or having a shirt tucked into it. When I was traveling more frequently, uh, uh, back in the days when COVID wasn't around, I'd get to go to places like Africa and uh, other, you know, third world countries. Uh, something always just kind of, uh, I marveled at it every time I saw it. In, in certain uh, airports in like, you know, uh, Uganda and uh, Tanzania and all these places, as, as people were taking more local flights from country to country there in Africa, uh, they would bring their bags. And they, they, you know, they aren't as well off as us Americans. They don't have Samsonite where gorillas can jump up and down on their bags. And so they'll bring these like, you know, barely bagged bags. You know what I'm talking about? Zippers busted. They've got it packed to the gills because they've only got the one and they've got to bring all this stuff. And just stuff is oozing out all over the place. And you're like, how are they going to possibly check that bag and expect any of its contents to be in place when they get to wherever they're going? And they figured this out. They got these saran wrap machines. They got about four feet of cellophane on them. You stick them on this little carousel. You put your bag there and the saran wrap just goes around your bag like this. Well, I'm not going to do it, but you, okay. It goes around your bag, right? Until, until finally it's so wrapped up, you can, you can hardly tell it's a bag. It's just this big, you know, wad of saran wrap. It ain't nothing coming out of that thing. I'd take that over my Samsonite any day. But that's what the love of God does in the life of those who follow him. It wraps everything else up, makes everything else possible. And so it is, that, as we studied a couple weeks ago, 
We want to be the best members of God's family that we can be so we can be the best members of the families he's given us here on earth. Like I said, Tom did a great job talking about uh, parents and, and children last week. He, uh, in Paul's writing here, uh, uh, he talks about that as well. He, he says, children, obey your parents, verse 20, in everything. How much? Everything. That takes some sussing out, but the, the default setting of a child, even an adult child, is to seek to honor parents. I don't obey uh, my mother or my father-in-law in the same ways that I did when I was growing up in, in my mother's house or something like that, but I seek to honor. And, and so that's my job as a child. If you're still a child, that's your, that's your gig, man. Honor. Obey, because this pleases the Lord. And then he talked extensively, Tom did, about parents and our roles. And it says here, fathers, it means fathers and mothers, it means parents. Hey, don't provoke your kids. Be a good parent. Be a loving, gracious, fair, involved parent. But don't, you know, uh, lord over your kids or, or cause them to become angry, provoke them, because they'll become discouraged and they'll grow up to be lousy parents like you. Ha, how's it going? They'll, they'll emulate what you're showing them because you're their template. So do it well. And, and many of us, different stages. I'm, I'm parenting kids in their mid to late 20s. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that's different than it was when they were 10, 11, and 12. It's different, but it's still my station. I had this, I had this two and a half hour talk with my son, Ben, who's just got all kinds of questions about God right now, and I came home last night from preaching the Saturday night service, and usually I just settle up in front of Netflix and zone out for a while, it's my Saturday night. Uh, but he was in the kitchen, and off we went. And I, I parented the pants off of that thing last night. I just, I just went after it. And we talked about all of his questions, and, and I uh, stayed in the room and, and, uh, and did my best, I hope I did anyway. Uh, but it, it never stops. It never stops. And so let's be uh, honoring of God uh, with our kids as long as he gives us to each other. Let's talk about marriage. Who wants to talk about marriage? Some of you are like, I don't, I'm not. So uh, uh, maybe is it too late? Who else is just starting to preach in town? I can make get there. Um, listen, marriage matters. It obviously matters to those who, us are, who are currently married, but if you are not yet married, it matters because statistically many of you will eventually be married. If you have, uh, you know, ceased to be married, uh, you perhaps know some married people in your life who are going to run into things that might, you know, uh, bring trouble to their relationships, and you're going to be the ear and the voice in that situation. And so you might not think that marriage applies to you, but it applies to all of us in some way. It's either waiting for us, we're in it, or we know someone who is. Are you with me? And so I want to talk to you today from what Paul has to say to the Colossians here about the husband-wife relationship. He starts with wives, verse 18. He says, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. He goes on and he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Amen. Two commands. <laughs> yeah, everybody, don't be sharpening your elbows today, husbands and wives. I can just see everybody being like, oh, this is going to be a good one. I can't wait. Mm, uh, now, amen is, is, a, is a suitable response, though. It's, these are the things that God has for marital relationships. Um, I don't know which uh, reality show you're watching, uh, but 
I'm going to guess that that marriage is not the one that you should be copying. God has a template. He's the designer of this thing called marriage. He has a way that's meant to work. And he kind of summarizes here, Paul does, summarizes the two things that we're going to cover today. Uh, just real quick, if, if you can't appreciate this 2,000 years after this is written, but in the time that this was written, this was revolutionary. First of all, the wives got mentioned. Some of your ladies are like, what? No, just understand. It may be bad in your world or in the world that, you know, for women, certainly there's room for progress in, 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 in the valuing of women in our culture. But 2,000 years ago, you were, you know, like, so it was basically this. Uh, cattle, wives. You were property. You often didn't even live in the house with your husband. You had your own quarters. You were there uh, to, 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 to sire the, the next uh, you know, generation of this man's you know, seed, his, his, his life. Uh, but that was typically it. You were to be seen and not heard. You were certainly never to speak out against your husband or, or to do anything that would shame him or defy him. You, you just, you weren't mentioned and so when these Colossians open this letter and read everything that's so great in it and then get to this you know, section of it that talks about the roles of the family, they're like, wives? Why are you talking about wives? And then it would go on, after giving instructions to the wives to submit as is fitting in the Lord, that it would go on and say, and husbands, don't be jerks. <laughs> it's in the Greek. It says, love your wives. That wasn't an expectation of that culture. Love your wife. Why? She's, she's a possession. She's not to be treasured. And if I get tired of her, I'm going to quickly, easily, as Jesus talked about in his teaching, divorce her, give her a certificate of divorce, and get on to the next one. So we can't maybe appreciate it in our time and age, but uh, people reading for this for the first time would be like, What? You talked about wives and you told your husbands to love and not be harsh. That's what husbands do, not love and be harsh. I got to say one more thing about these two verses. Did you know that the Greek language that our New Testaments are predominantly written in doesn't have any punctuation? Ancient Greek doesn't have any periods or commas or exclamation points or question marks. And so when you read Greek, it just kind of flows. It's just a bunch of words on a page. And so English translators have had to basically go like, all right, uh, this is kind of the phrases as we see them going. And so we're going to you know, put a capital at the front of this sentence and a period at the end of this one or a comma with these phrases. And they do their best to help us English speakers understand what the, the Bible's saying in its original. Uh, but there's no punctuation. And so sometimes, not a lot, you can trust your Bibles, but sometimes there might be some, some misses or at least some missed opportunities in, in how we could understand things if we just didn't have our punctuation in it. So, so let me uh, kind of throw this at you. I think the, the key to these two verses is the phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. It says in verse 18 again, wives, submit to your husbands. Say it with me, as is fitting in the Lord. And because there's no punctuation in there, uh, you could actually read verse 19 this way. As is fitting in the Lord, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh to them. Both of them are linked to that central phrase, as is fitting in the Lord which is just so cool, people. Because right here, as Paul's talking to these husbands and wives and giving them instructions, he's reminding them, hey man, the first stop on the marriage train is the likeness of Christ for both of you. 
You submit as is fitting in the, in, in the Lord, women, and you love as is fitting in the Lord. This phrase, fitting, it has at least two meanings. The first one is this. It means um, uh, I, I, I'm a reflection of the one that I'm fitting with. So, so if, if, if what I'm doing is fitting with the Lord or in the Lord, I'm reflecting his character by being, as a wife, submissive, by being, as a husband, loving and not harsh. I'm looking like Jesus when I do these things. We all understand that, right? We've walked into somebody's house and known them for a while and then met their daughter or their son and been like, whoa, I can see the resemblance. Anybody been there? Now, we understand that certain standards apply in the, in the world that we live in where, where there's a template and whatever's being created needs to comply with this template. There, it isn't what it is unless it resembles what's in the picture. I, I, I worked at this restaurant in northern Maine as a high schooler. I was the uh, uh, dishwasher, uh, the pizza maker, and the dessert preparer. And just to let you know, enjoy your lunch today, uh, but this is how I would often do my job. I would stick my hand in the ashtrays that were there in 1986 and uh, kind of, you know, just be cleaning those out as a dishwasher, and then someone would yell, pizza up, and I would, and then I would go make the pizza, <laughs> right? And then go back to the ashtrays and the, and the food that people had been not, you know, that didn't eat, and, and then they'd say, dessert, and I'd, okay, and then I'd go, so enjoy your lunch today. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I still remember in this job that uh, the dessert making thing was the, the, the place where they were the most finicky. They, they had a few desserts. One of them I remember was mud pie. And it, right over the, the cooler that had the ice cream in it and the, and the, and the frozen pie uh, was this picture of the mud pie. It reminded me like as a kid watching Sesame Street, they had a, a sandwich that had a pickle and two pieces. Anyway, and I just remember being like, okay, this mud pie is not gonna make the dining room unless what I do here looks like the picture. And that's what the guy who was training me told me. He said, just make it look like the picture. They're cutting six pieces, take one piece out. Put some hot fudge on there. Not too much, it's gonna melt before it even gets to their table. Settle down, big guy. And then put the, the whipped cream on it. Not too much, they gotta be able to see the pie. And then one cherry, pal. See the picture? One cherry, not nine. It's a garnish. And if it looks like the picture, we'll serve it in the dining room. If it, and just so we're clear, if it doesn't look like the picture, it's coming out of your check. And you don't even get to eat it. You just have to throw it out and clean the dish. Kind of reminds me, uh, if I can belabor this a little bit longer, uh, who remembers this jingle from the 70s and 80s? To all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. Everybody under 40 is like, huh? <laughs> what did I just describe? the McDonald's Big Mac. I've been all over the world. There's McDonald's everywhere. And I can tell you this, in Israel, in China, in Russia, in India, in all the places I've had a Big Mac, it's a Big Mac. It's two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. They won't serve them otherwise. That's their signature sandwich. You know, Junior in the back can't decide, you know what, today, it's going to be two all-beef patties, a filet of fish, uh, a McChicken, and some Sunday on a sesame seed bun. That's not how it works. You'll be fired if you don't make it like this. My point, I hope, other than making you hungry, is this. 
When it comes to life, our responsibilities, as God describes them in his word, always start with us looking like him, his son, resembling the character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be fitting in the Lord when it comes to us being husbands and wives. That's why when I tell people when they get married, this is your goal in life. Think of God first before you think of them. Think of glorifying and honoring God first before submitting to your husband or before loving your wife. Because if you can do this as an act of worship to your God, if he becomes your first in this, then you'll do it right and this will be easier for you. But if you in your own power and your own flesh say, here's what the Bible says, I've got to do these things, I've got to you know, jump through these hoops, and you try to submit or you try to love self-sacrificingly, I just made up a word, then you're going to fail. But if you seek to honor Christ and by the power of Christ do what he calls you to do, he gives us in his spirit the ability to do what he says. The second part of fitting after thinking about resemblance is efficacy. When things fit, they typically work. When they don't, they don't. Anybody got two ends of their closet? I got the uh, this weight end, and I got the this weight end. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't have fluctuations in your weight. God bless you and your metabolism. And I'm angry with you a little bit, just so you know. Uh, but there are times when I go to this end of my closet when I should be at this end. I'm a little bit heavier, and I'll come out with a shirt, and I'll be like, hey, babe, how's it going? <laughs> Ready to go? And she'll be like, you're on the wrong end of the closet, bro. That does not fit. Dang it. I go back and try again. If it fits, it works. That's in every project you've ever done. Anybody ever had a, a, a screw go missing in something that you had taken apart? And now you've got to go, fellas, maybe ladies too, as you guys do this, you've got to go into the garage and try to find the same size screw, same length, same size. It needs to be metric and not whatever the other one is. And you try and try and try, and sometimes you're like, oh, I think this is it. But then you're like, no, it's not. And so you start forcing it, and all of a sudden now you've stripped out the nut, you've stripped out the threads, you've got a broken something that's never going to work again. Why? Because you tried to force something that didn't fit. doesn't work. And so what Paul is saying to us is, hey, guys, hey, husbands and wives, you want this to work? Do what fits. Do what fits in me, in Christ. Because what fits is what works. There's two things. The first one is for the wives. Marriage works when wives submit to husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Is this fitting in the Lord? I was a younger pastor here. It was like the second or third year I'd been in Brandon. I was getting ready to do this couple's marriage, and uh, we'd walk through all the ceremony and stuff that they were looking forward to, the carriage ride. She'll pull up, he'll walk up, blah, blah, blah. And then we got to the actual part where I, you know, say a few things about marriage, and I had printed it out for them. It's only going to be five minutes, ten minutes, just, you know, a few things from Ephesians, but in there is this idea of wives submitting to their husbands. And this young Christian bride looked at me and says, we're not saying that. (laughs) I was like, this has never happened before. I've never been censored uh, as a pastor and told what I can and can't say from God's word about what's happening uh, in this particular case, a, a wedding ceremony. And I said, why? Why, why? why don't you want me to say, oh, I'm not submitting to him. 
And I was like, do you understand the word submit? Yeah, it means I got to be a doormat. I got to do whatever he says. I'm not... And I said, well, first of all, we need to work on that attitude a little bit, honey. But secondly, <laughs> I don't think you understand submission. It's not subjugation. It's not slavery. It's not doormat. In fact, over and over again in the scriptures, the Bible makes very clear that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. It says in Galatians 3.28 that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all equal when it comes to our relationship. Now, we're different. Don't, don't hear me wrong. We're different, but we're equal. Ladies, when it says for you to submit to your husbands, it's not saying that you're here, he's here. It's saying you're here, but the actual Greek word is the Greek word hupotasso. Everybody say hupotasso. Hupotasso means... Uh, tasso is to put and hupo is under. And so basically submission is just choosing to put yourself under someone that you're equal with. Does that make sense? It's not you are here, so act like you're here. It's you are here, choose to submit. Now submission is a Christian ethic. It's a, it's a staple of males, females, marriages, other relationships. It says in Ephesians 5, 21 that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So fellas, don't read the, the command to the woman and think, yeah, she submits and I don't have to. Submission is talked about for all of us in all of scripture, but ladies, the specific command for you is for you to hupotasso, to choose to submit, to become the servant, even though you're equal. To be the helpmate, as it's described in Genesis chapter two, of, of the man that God has given to you. It is not a dishonor. It's one of the most honorable things that anybody can do for anybody to put them ahead of themselves and to seek their good over your own. <laughs> we talk in church about the afterlife a bunch, and rightly so. There's an eternity waiting for us, and our decision about Jesus is the determiner of where we spend it. But most of church, after you get past the future, as we talk about the presence, is us talking about the after you life. You before me. Your needs ahead of mine. I'm here so that you flourish. Husbands and wives both need to adopt this mentality. That's what Jesus did for us, right? Submitted to the will of his Father, even unto death on the cross. Uh, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Existing eternally, co-eternally, as co-equals. But over and over again, as you read your scriptures, you'll see Jesus in those red letters saying, yep, I do whatever the Father says. He's his equal, but he's hupotasso. The same can be, or should be said of us. Why? Because, listen, as we submit one to another, wives unto husbands, as submission happens, change occurs in those relationships. Look at what it says. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, likewise, wives, be subject or submitted to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they aren't Christians yet, or they're Christians and they're disobedient in their walk. Even if they don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see irrespectful and pure conduct. That doesn't mean you never say anything, but when you say something, you say it in a loving, submissive, hearable way. It, it, it doesn't mean that you, you, you don't ask for better, but it, it means that even if you don't get better, you continue your end of the deal, which is to love by submitting to your husband, hupotasso. And it's incredible to me, I can tell you story after story of how when someone chooses that, sets aside belligerence and 
and, and nagging and, and you know, uh, passive aggression and all those other things that we try to use in changing someone. Everybody, notice, everybody ever notice you can't change someone? Has everybody figured that out? You can try. But especially when it comes to husbands and wives, the other one can't, that's why the elbow thing in services like this, it doesn't work. I had some husband come up and tell me, make sure you say my wife's name as you're preaching this because she's coming next service. It doesn't work that way. Someone doesn't want to change, guess what? That person isn't changing. But you can create an environment for that person under the uh, you know, uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit senses, I need to change. I need to do better because what I'm giving is not matching what I'm receiving. There's a couple in our church, they're uh, uh, Baylife OGs. They were here at the beginning when everything started in 1994. They were uh, fairly recent converts when they you know, went out with the church that became Baylife. Uh, they had been Catholics most of their life, gone to Catholic church dutifully uh, as good Catholics do. And, uh, uh, but the, the wife in this relationship uh, found out that there was a church, Calvary Church, which is where we came out of, um, uh, was doing this uh, series like this one. Uh, it's called Home Improvement. It was on the family. And she uh, desired for things to be different in her family. And so she would go to Catholic church with her husband and their kids. And then she would, you know, drop them off at the house. And then she would head to this church that her husband would look at her and be like, why are you doubling up on church? It's bad enough we've got to go to the Catholic one. You're going to this one too? That's kind of where he was with the whole church thing. But she would go. She wouldn't guilt him, you know, for not going or, or you know, uh, if he asked questions, she'd tell him, you know, the things that she was learning. But she wasn't like, she just said, I'm going. A month into it, this guy's like, well, I got to see what's going on at this thing, right? And he walks into this church, it's got music like ours. He's like, that was a rock concert. I don't even know what you're doing there, blah, 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 right? But he went back the next week. And sometime in that story, in those months, as this was happening in the relationship, she trusted Christ. And then three months after he started going to this church, he trusted Christ. And now he's one of our elders. And she's served in ministries here for the last 27 years, 28 years, both of them. And how did it happen? The Holy Spirit got a hold of a wife who started hanging out at a church where she heard the gospel. And she responded. She just loved on her husband, didn't nag. And then eventually this husband Uh, kicking and screaming, went to church with her, heard the gospel, and their lives were changed forever. Love those stories. But those stories are proofs of what Peter was saying. And so, ladies, if I can give you, I'm not a wife, never been one. Uh, But uh, as a husband of a great wife, I'm grateful for mine. Uh, Can I just give you a couple things that I would share with you uh, about this whole hupotasso choice? Uh, the first one involves our words. Watch your words. All of us, husbands and wives, but, but wives especially, your words are powerful. Husbands, anybody nodding? Yeah. The way you say it, the tone, the terms, um, your tongue has power. James talks about it in his, his writing. He says in chapter 3 that your tongue, uh, all of us, can set the world on fire. What a metaphor. It's like a nuke. It can blow everything up. I've sat in counseling sessions where things had gone well for two hours. We had rebuilt what had been broken in marriages, and then one person says one thing, and Katie, bar the door. It is off the rails, and we are back to square zero because of one foolish 
utterance. We shouldn't use our tongues to badger and berate, to shame. We should use our words as often as possible to build up and encourage. And even when we have to say the hard things, we say them in love so that they are heard. Ladies, don't mother your men. That will not work. (laughs) Wife him. With your words, say things so that they land and they can be heard. Take the, uh, take the advantage as often as possible to encourage. I don't know, some of you have maybe taken the five love languages. There's a, a teaching of that that's coming up uh, here on this next weekend down at F- uh, Fishhawk Fellowship. Doctor, uh, who's the doctor that does it? Anyway, he's coming and doing it. Chapman, thank you. And, uh, but these love languages, one of them is words of encouragement. Some people, that's how they feel most love is when they hear words of encouragement. But everybody, in general, likes to hear the good news. Anybody hear a favor of good news? Anybody like the good news? And so we should use our words as often as possible to express the good news about our partners. Wives, esteem your husbands. Speak well of them. I was getting ready to speak last night, and I was trying to think, how can I? And I remembered that on my shelf in my office, uh, Eleanor, for my 50th birthday, she got off really cheap. She just basically wrote down, the 50 things that I love about you and framed it. What a cheap present, right? (laughs) I have to say that, I'm a jerk. But but I'd rather have this than anything expensive she could have gotten me. And I was walking, I was gonna show her, I'm showing it to you, I was gonna show everybody last night. I was walking over last night to go start preaching this and, uh, and I started reading them. Some of them are great. I love your intelligence. Seriously, you are the smartest person I have ever met. Boom. You thought you were smart. All right. Uh, I love your amazing hugs. I love your faith. Uh, I love your patience. I mean, these are all great things. But then she's got some funny stuff in there. I like your jump shot. Oh, some of you didn't know. I have a silky smooth uh, jumper. I mean, it is wet. I, it is. Anyway. Uh, I love your silly songs. I love cuddling on the Oakland, which is the name of the love seat that we bought for our living room. I love your laugh. Uh, I love your perfect mouth. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh. There's some other stuff in there. I'm not going to share it all. <laughs> but I'm walking over last night to start, you know, talking about this, and I started reading that list. And I didn't have time for this, but I read the whole thing, all 50. And can I tell you, as a guy who was distracted by the sermon he was about to preach, I had this, like, little 30-second moment where I was like, <sighs> She wasn't even here. I was reading something she wrote three years ago. And I'm like, dang it, she did exactly what I'm talking about. She used her words to build. And that's how we put someone ahead of ourselves, how we submit. We use our words to honor. Be a friend of your husband, ladies. Be a friend of them. It says in in Titus chapter 2, as Titus is being told by Paul, here's the things I want you to instruct the older men to do and the older ladies to do. And in, in the list of things he's telling the older ladies to do, he says, and, and make sure you train the young women to love their husbands and their children. Now that word love there is not the lo- word love we typically associate with love in scripture. It's not agape, it's this gr- uh, Greek word philandros, which is the Greek word for love, philo, which is like a friend love, and then andros, which is man. It's like philanthropy, that's where we get that. And so, Uh, these older women are to instruct these younger wives, uh, 
have brotherly love for your man. He's basically saying, be their friend. Be a good hang. Be someone that he looks forward to seeing. Don't just be someone who shares the bills and the kids and the responsibilities of the house. Be someone uh, that, that he is, you know, is, is, is so uh, friendly with, so connected to. Doesn't just love, but likes that when he gets to spend some time with you, it's the best part of his day. I tell you about Eleanor and I on Saturday mornings, it's like our weekend. We have like from Saturday at eight o'clock until I come to work at one to hang out on the weekend. She works on Fridays late, I have the day off, blah, blah, blah. Don't cry for us, Argentina, we're fine. But in those few hours, you know what we spend doing them? Not a whole lot of consequence, not a whole lot of things that we're like, oh. You know what we did yesterday? We got in the truck, she drove me to Riverview to be able to look at some junk furniture, which we didn't end up buying, praise the Lord. But as we're driving down the Riverview, who's been down there on 301 lately? Hillsborough County, knock it off. What are you doing? It's Saturday. Everybody in the world is out on Saturday. 301 should never be down to one lane. All right, there, I'm done. But she takes me down, uh, you know, Crycol, which is this off-road, and she says, turn right. That's not where the furniture store is. It's left. So I go up one lane 301 for like half an hour, and she's like, it's right up here. I know it's right up here. I know it's right up here. It was never right up there. <laughs> and now I got to do this Yui. I spent 45 minutes doing what it would have taken me two if I had turned the right direction. Are you with me? And some of you are like, were you mad? Loved every minute of it. Had a blast. Made fun of her for the first 15 minutes. That's just a joy, right? Way to go, Davy Crockett. You did it again. We're going the wrong way. I know. You know. But we laughed and we talked about our crazy kids and her father and, and just all these things and had a blast. We accomplished zero in three hours. Just wasted gas. And that's 350 a gallon now, right? But I loved it. It's my favorite part of the day. She asked me every day, what's your favorite part of the day? It's like, right now, babe. She's like, okay, I know, but what's the other part? No, this is it. You and me hanging out. Ladies, be your husband's friend. Take interests in the things that he's interested. Don't roll your eyes and give the every time he asks if he can go do something. Be his friend. All right, fellas, you ready? All the women are like, yeah. Marriage works, fellas, when husbands gently love their wives. I love this. Husband, love your wives. It's the word agape. It's selfless love. And don't be harsh with them. Interesting that men had to be told, don't be harsh. Harsh has a couple forms. The first one's the obvious one. You're a bully. You're loud. You're demanding. It's obvious. Don't be harsh that way. But harsh has a more subtle form. It can come uh, uh, in, in, in passive aggression. It can come in... Uh, the ways that you uh, are aloof or unnurturing or remove yourself and your affection from your wife. Uh, both forms of harshness are rooted in self. If I was translating this uh, text, I'd say, husbands, don't be jerks. Because men are jerks. Sorry, uh, guys. We are. We're just good at it. We, we think we really are. Uh, what the world should revolve around. We bring that to our marriages and to our homes and to our other relationships because we're just so in love with ourselves. And that, <clears throat> that just wrecks 
marriages. So don't love yourself. Love your wife. Don't be harsh with her. Be gentle, nurturing. It says uh, in verse 25 of Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When we talk about love, we're talking about sacrifice, setting aside self. We do this because it not only builds our marriage, but it makes us closer to God. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to that woman as a weaker vessel. People misinterpret this all the time. They think, oh, there it is, weaker. Men are stronger. Women are weaker. Men are, you know, up here. Women are down here. That word weaker means precious. It means that she is to be um, cradled, cared for. And, and, And... I mean, let's do this. You know the word husband in English means to care for and cultivate. I remember the guy you know, I went to high school with, we saw each other at a reunion. I was like, so what you went, you know, you went to college, what did you study? Husbandry. It's like, is that like a marriage degree? What'd you do? No. He's like, no, husbandry, it's an agricultural degree. You go to school and you learn how to care and cultivate animals and crops. <clears throat> and that's, that's what I did. I went to four years of school to learn how to be a farmer. I was like, good on you. But I'd never heard the word husbandry associated with this caring and cultivating of agricultural stuff. But that's who you are, husband. You are a care for and a cultivator of your wife's flourishing. She's your garden, guys. Make it grow. Honor her. Be about her. Love her, as it says in the Ephesians text, as you love your own body. We're good at that. I'm great at taking care of me. I'm going to leave here and go fill this body. Are you with me? I'm great at taking care of me, but it says in the scriptures, die to yourself and care for her as if she is your own body. As if what it says in Genesis is true, that the two, two become one. She's you, fellas. Love her like she's you. Hmm. Be her provider and protector. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. This talks about, you know, the, the pecking order. And oftentimes, again, people um, not entirely correctly come to this text, and guys come out of it especially and say, see, I'm the ruler. I'm the head of you. I'm in charge. And there are aspects of this teaching or of this verse where that's true. But you're not in charge in terms of tyrant. You're in charge in terms of responsibility. It's not about rule. It's about responsibility. Hey, fellas, the the flourishing of your home rests on both of you, but God's going to ask you first. What'd you do to have a better marriage? What'd you do to have a better family, guys? Because you're the head, that means you're responsible. And you're the head. You know what the other word for, uh, the Greek word kephal, which you know, we use encephalitis. And, anyway, but it means head. But it means source. It's like the head of a river. That's, that's where that river's coming from. And so when you're called the head of your wife, you're the source. Again, the cultivator, the carer for her and her flourishing. Can I get you to do this, fellas? Don't just be their, your wife's provider and protector. Uh, trust her. There's this great text in the book of Proverbs, the very last chapter, chapter 31. It talks about this excellent wife. And it says in verse 10, an excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. 
Isn't that interesting? Introduces the wife, an excellent wife. Who can find? She's more precious than jewels. But the very next thing that describes this woman is not an attribute of her life. It's the attitude of her husband. The heart of her husband trusts her. And because he trusts her, what's it say about him? He will have no lack. Again, it goes back to, hey man, how can I help you be all that God wants you to be? That's your role as a husband. How can I care for you, provide for you, protect you, trust you, so that you become all he's designed you to become? The last thing is this. It goes back to what I talked about earlier. Give your wife praise at the end of that chapter in Proverbs 31. This is what is said. Her children rise up and call her blessed, verse 28. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. I'm so grateful to be standing in front of a group of people uh, that I've spent, you know, many of you, like 17 years with. We've hung out. I've got to know you, and I've uh, appreciated, admired uh, how so many of you who are married in here have loved each other. You're doing this well. And so many, I hope you were affirmed with some of the things that we talked about today. You're like, oh, he does that. Oh, good, she does that. That's her. But here's what I want to encourage you who are doing well. Hey, what could be better? We're talking about being a better family. What could be better in your marriage? Maybe that's a conversation you have as you drive home today. They don't always like, you know, take the time to, to do the how are we doing well, maybe that'd be a good one for you today. Tell the kids to shut up. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, don't do that. That's really mean. Don't do that. Some of you came here this morning, though, and you're like the couple uh, that texted me yesterday morning. Didn't know that we were going to preach on marriage, but they're like, hey, my marriage is in trouble. I need your help. And can we talk? And you didn't know we were going to talk about this today, but we just had the beginnings of a talk. But here's the deal. This is just the beginning. You need more concerted help. Stuff's gone on in your marriage for too long. Things have gotten too far apart. One or both of you are in the wrong, usually both. But there needs to be a change. And here's the deal. If that's you, do something. Make a move. It is crazy to continue to wake up every day and experience the same stuff and hope that there'll be change. Things have to change. They ha there has to be a catalyst. And so it's gonna be you calling me or one of our other pastors. It's gonna be you making an appointment with our counseling center, which we you know, have such a great group of counselors up there. But it's gonna be you making a move. And some of you are gonna be like, oh no, you know, he'll never come or, or she'll never you know, agree that there's a problem. Get the help that you need so that you can be a contributor to your marriage going in a different direction. Ah, oh, it'll be embarrassing. I don't want people to know we got problems. Come on. You don't think people know? And who cares about your image? I want, I want you to experience God's best. So go for that. Make a move. Get the help you need so that you can have what God wants you to have. Can we stand together and we'll pray? Lord, I know there's people in here who are married right now, and uh, what we've talked about has been affirming. I pray that they'd find what's better. I know there's people in here who are married right now, and things are hard. And uh, 
and they don't even really know what to do next, I pray that you'd lead them to their next steps, that they'd talk with someone who could help them, and that we'd start seeing you, you know, bring healing where there's been hurt. Uh, there's people in here who aren't married. They're on this side of it or have never been before. They're young, they're whatever. I, I pray that these things uh, settle into their hearts so that maybe they could share them with someone who is married who needs help, or maybe they, as they get ready for their relationship, uh, that awaits them down the road. Uh, they can understand how this is supposed to work. But Lord, we, uh, we just, you know, we come to you hoping for your best in our lives. Help us to seek you, to become like you, to, to resemble you, fit in with you, and then to be the very best that we can in our families. Now, that's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for our marriages, and I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. I'll be over here if you want to start talking. God bless you. Have a good week.